Welcome to Booklandia, where we review romance novels. This and every episode are chock full of oversharing and spoilers. Every episode is rated E for explicit. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, this the beginning great. is always we're awkward. I part. know. <laughs> the beginning is so awkward, which is weird because uh, we usually don't have issues speaking with each other. Um, I'm Sky. I'm Ford. I am still here in this vomit emoji. Uh, so, just so you're aware, vomit lime walls behind me. Come, come listen to us, or uh, if you don't want to see it, or come watch us if you're like, what the fuck is she talking about? What is, what is a vomit emoji? Um, right. Today we are talking. Live in one, <laughs> right? And that's the important part. Um, today we're talking about *Barbarian Alien* by Ruby Dixon, <laughs> and the second in the *Ice Planet Barbarians* series. And before we get to that, how how are you today? Other than the vomit emoji life, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm okay. I'm in like this marathon work marathon, so. That that is all. I'm just always. I feel like I'm always working, but I'm getting a lot of sleep. And I don't know. Next week, I'm going into two jobs at once, which is not my forte. But I'm excited. And I'm trying to prepare myself, and I'll just be driving a fuck ton next week. How about you? How's your life? So uh, school has started. It has. I realized this morning that I didn't finish the honeymoon epilogue of this book. Like. I was a few pages away from the end and I stopped. It was long. It was long. I stopped and then I just didn't go back to it. And then this morning I was like, wait, I'm not done. So I finished it, which changed actually some of the stuff in the script for me. But Mm. it it did mean that I I was late getting in the shower (laughs) on my way here. So uh, it's a little bit like wet hair don't care happening over here because yes. um because epilogue mattered more <laughs> uh absolutely i was like hey can we push our recording back thinking that i would sleep uh instead i woke up an hour earlier than my alarm and just kept reading the book i'm currently reading so you know reading in the mornings is very important reading in the mornings particularly when it's smutty <laughs> puts your whole day yes. in a different category yep yes absolutely <laughs> it makes it tolerable it makes life and work tolerable i highly recommend adding smut reading to your morning routine <laughs> it's really really um moistening <laughs> and now we've just lost half of our listeners because you use the word moist hey that that (laughs) word is very meaningful and i i genuinely don't understand Mm -hmm. the whole dislike i don't understand dislike of a word altogether Mm. like people who are like oh foyer can do foyer and i'm like unless you're referring to to like your labia as the foyer that's probably (laughs) the only time when i would be like maybe not <laughs> In this metaphor, what is the vagina? The living room? Is that the mm, not the rec room? I mean, ooh, you know what? That's a better metaphor. This sort of goes along with the conversation in the book. I'm going to pivot into the book um, about oh, the fact that they on. keep calling their clits their third nipples. This is the second book where the third yes. nipple conversation yeah. happens. And I just... Yeah. They're not the same. They don't do the same things. They're not the I same mean, at all. <laughs> they're not the same anatomically up to a point because they both, all three, let's start with all three. All three <laughs> have a large amount of nerve endings. So they're sensitive like... Yeah, they're both erog- erogenous zones. Are, yeah, sure. Yes. On on t- humans, because um, in this I instance, there's like, aliens. So. Sure, it it it. it I want to prepare you that this is going to become a cultural thing. Like all the books are going to have this because I have a sense that it's going to be all the books, and it's becoming a culture thing because the males go off and talk about 
things behind the female, the human females' backs about like things they like and things they don't like. And I think this is okay. uh, locker room chatter. Uh, okay, I'm I'm glad that that's where your sentence went because I was like, this is gonna be a cultural thing. We're collectively gonna think that it's a third nipple because I'm not into that. <laughs> you know, I think weirdly you could look at these books in an anthropomorphic, not anthropomorphic, anthropologic mm-hmm. uh, way in that humans are being introduced to this other race that was also introduced to this planet. And you're watching these relationships and this tribal culture evolve. Oh, because of this invasive species. Yes. Um, Women, an invasive species. (laughs) Here, here. Can we put that on a t-shirt? Because, oh, that resonates. That really resonates with me. Oh, Oh, I like it a lot. Give right. me the t-shirt. All right. Yes. Uh, well, let's take a look at this cover. And actually, there I have a little bit of a thing to say about the cover. And it's because I got all the way to the back end of the book and read the acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Um, so this Great. is the special edition cover mm-hmm. um, that is out on January 25th of 2022. And on it, mm-hmm. it has a blonde human woman with a bow and a very dark blue alien with a tail uh, and a broken horn and long hair and and a lot of mountains and an alien spaceship. (laughs) I do want to point out that there is an inaccurate amount of cleavage for how cold it is on this planet. I do want to point out also that I don't think that I was ever clear in this book, that mm. he had long hair. I think mm. it's mentioned maybe once at the very beginning. And then, so in my head, that wasn't the case. Mm. I think I went with the book cover. I think I let the book cover inform me. Uh, she also has icicles in her hair, which just makes me cranky to think about as a <laughs> well, situation I never want to be in. And that was described in the first book. So uh, Ruby Dixon talks about yeah. this cover versus the original cover mm-hmm. and how the covers of the mm-hmm. books actually were dictated by her desire to either attract an audience that would typically read sci-fi or actually her mm-hmm. goal was to attract a romance audience to what could be described as a sci-fi book. And so the yeah. original cover hides the fact that the blue guys are aliens with horns and tails and it's just like an artful naked shoulder situation Mm -hmm. and then as you read Mm -hmm. you discover that they're blue and they're horned and they're ridged and everything else that has to do with them but i her point was to like lure the romance reader over to the dark side of science fiction AO Star Wars reference. This book has a lot of those, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah, no, this is definitely more Star Warsy than book one. So, agreed. Or at least th- they just say the word Star Wars a lot. <laughs> well, she tell she ends up telling him the whole Luke Skywalker storyline. Like, yes, yes, but she says fun. there's only like, one Star Wars, and I was like, excuse me, there's nine. Okay. Original stories and then all the other sub stories. So it made me wonder: Was are these books set in 1977 or 78 or you know? Well, they like, mentioned Walmart. Are these girls kidnapped? Uh huh. That is, and I they mention. I'm sorry, I don't know when Walmart started. I no, me neither. So because there is uh, one of the other Kira says there isn't a Walmart we can pop to. Or a, there's something else. It is, I mean, there's not a lot of anachronistic references that have to do with modern Mm -hmm. technology. Like, none of them Mm -hmm. are missing their cell phone or their Instagram feed or anything like that yet. Was there a joke, or am I thinking of another book, where they talked about corporate retreats? No, it's in this book. She talks about a corporate retreat. Yeah. And this, at the very beginning of this book, she does an icebreaker <laughs> exercise. That's a and, yeah. And she chuckles to herself even about yeah. the fact that it's an icebreaker. But Google so- has told me that Walmart started in 1962. 
Okay, well, so uh, whenever corporate retreats became popular, yeah, so far it's not really clear when these women were abducted from Earth. None of them have mentioned mm-hmm. having a uh, a hormonal birth control implant, which would yep. right. Not that yep, all women do now, but that's a much more common thing now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. So, and I keep thinking about that about like. Yes. What, like all of these, right? The whole point is that all these women are fertile and willing or become willing to mate and have mm-hmm. babies. Good for them. But I keep thinking about the fact that uh, ver- there are 22 year olds quite commonly now who utilize some sort of uh, long term birth control and that hasn't come up mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I have decided to headcanon that it's set in nineteen in like the night late nineteen seventies because that makes the like pajamas they're wearing funnier and weirder to me. And and the comment about the only one Star Wars yeah. a little bit the more only of a one thing. Star Wars. Yes. I can't but it wait, drew me. wait, it wait, really hold on. Me. But the line is there was a kid named Anakin, and did do we did we do we know in the in mm. A New Hope that his name is Anakin? Sorry, we went really deep remember. down this. Mm-hmm. I don't this think is now we a do. Star Wars podcast. Right? I don't think yeah, we I think, do. Yeah. I think we don't find out he's Anakin until uh until episode one. Yeah. Which means that, right, because we aren't supposed to be able to connect the dots that Anakin and Darth Vader are the same person. Like, that's a big reveal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But do they talk about Luke's parents? Like, do they oh, name Anakin they name? and right? Oh, I don't remember yeah, that because I'm yeah. not. I, it's been a while. Valid. Mm-hmm. Anyways, if if anyone out there <laughs> wants to correct this timeline for us, get at us. We're interested. <laughs> okay. Or don't. And I'll just keep thinking it's the late 1970s, early 1980s, and the hair gets bigger. Bigger and um, and until proven otherwise, until one of them makes a reference mm-hmm. to her um, Instagram mm-hmm. account. Um, <laughs> should we like tell the people what this book is even yeah, about? We should probably re okay. rack to the top. Fifteen minutes in, yeah. Let's yeah. re-rack to the top. All right, I wrote this intro. Yeah. Would you like I to spell checked this intro? Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yes, I will absolutely read it. Uh, I do have a quarrel with a word, but I'm going to read the word and then we can yell about the word. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. Uh, All right. Then in three, two, one. Liz is the snarkiest of the human women who are kidnapped and end up crashed on the planet they affectionately name Not Hoth. Uh, Rahash is the tallest and most scarred of the Skakwi blue males who also crashed on Not Hoth. When he becomes aware that Liz is his fated mate, he kidnaps her again and tries to convince her by any means necessary. Though Liz is mad her, that her choices are taken away from her, she is determined to make lemonade from these blue lemons. As time goes by, she makes a bow, finds her mate's sensitive spots, and kidnaps at least two creatures of her own. Okay. Excellent. Well done. Well done. Um, what are you opposed firstly, to? Firstly, he kidnaps her again. That makes it sound like he was the aliens who kidnapped her from Earth, which is not true. I know, and I couldn't really fit all of that into one sentence, so Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. She gets kidnapped by green aliens who are assholes, uh, who who are picking up human women to enslave them and sell them. And uh, and then uh, there's a rebellion on that ship, and the women crash on Not Hoth, and then Rahash kidnaps her from the rest of the women mm-hmm. on Not Hoth. So she's kidnapped twice, but not by the same people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Also in that read through, and apparently I missed it when I did my edit. Uh, not Hoth, and you wrote Hoth, H O F F. What like, what is it? H O T H. Oh, 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 okay. Sorry, I uh sounded it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh we're real good Star Warsy people, y'all. We sure are not. Um so the also, Star Wars. Just so you know, my 
And I will have to check with the audiobook. So my the reading assist app reads it as Sakwi. <laughs> okay. But uh, I read it visually. Right. I will tell you what the audiobook narrator says because the next one I have is on audio. Mm. So I will listen to okay. their version and report back. Uh, but yes, so this book was originally published as a serial mm -hmm. in 2015. Mm, serial. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know. I just said serial. And then. <laughs> It's be it is re-released on January twenty fifth of twenty twenty two in its special mm -hmm. edition cover, and the yep. audiobook was uh, done in twenty eighteen. So it actually it took some time for it to sort of coalesce into a full book, and now it yeah. is being re-released because TikTok, because book talk TikTok, TikTok has yeah <laughs> yeah exploded about it yes okay so yeah. one of one of the things that i mentioned is that throughout the book liz so liz gets like legitimately kidnapped twice and then she's she's held captive once she arrives back at the uh tribal cave they keep mm -hmm. her against her will in the cave mm -hmm. while they exile rahash and she keeps mm -hmm. Uh, and by this point, she has been in uh, a parasite has been introduced into her body so that she would survive living on this planet. And she is pregnant uh, with Rahasha's baby. And she keeps bringing up the fact that none of this was her choice. And mm -hmm. that to me was really never like resolved. Yeah. There were some attempts yeah. to appease her, but there was never. Mm -hmm. It did not feel to me like when she said my choices were taken away from me that anyone heard her. Yeah. And and she I it feels like the arc for her is that she took them back. She took her she had to take her choices back. Um, she had to take control of her life back and she did it through being annoying and taking one of the other males hostage, quote unquote. He was, you know, totally OK with it. And allowed her to do so, and because he could overpower her if he tried. Oh, look! The gardener has started. Oh, it's very close and loud. I'm so sorry, y'all. <laughs> I love your uh, noise canceling make... headphones because this is the second time the gardener has come around, and the first time you acknowledged it. <laughs> yeah, they have to make not square bushes square that don't stay square because they're not square bushes. Uh, yes, it's... the. Weird gardening. It's like you're living in an Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> and they're painting I, the roses red. They're painting the yes, roses red. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My TED talk on, on nature is not controllable is later. Later on in the episode. <laughs> in this episode, in fact, because they live on a nice planet and they can't control it. We were talking about choices, but she chooses to care for Rahash and she chooses to be with him. And in the end, I think it's it's the choice of survival, survival and, and how you choose to survive. Oh, like, she mean, there aren't a lot of choices out there. And so she chooses the ones that best make her happy. I agree that that is exactly what happens. But it, I really wanted more power returned to her. And it yeah. felt like she was handed some like... Oh, we'll just appease this annoying woman rather than like mm. this is but like this is your power. Mm -hmm. Like her power is that she's a hunter mm. and she knows how to make a weapon that this tribe does not know how to use or make. And mm -hmm. she uh, is comfortable with all of the things that the other women are not. And it, that's never really uplifted. Maybe not yet. So I would disagree in that. It just keeps getting louder. This noise is getting louder, and I'm very sorry, everybody. I would argue she's made the tribe think that she is being punished by being exiled with Rahash, but it's what she wants. So she's she's made the power her own. She's taken back the power, but let other people think they still have it because she's doing what she wants. It, well, she's doing what is left to her as the only choice. And like I said, mm. like, I wish, like, uh, one of the things that I but, wish would have happened is that she would have shown all the men how to use the bow or, like, 
Because when she's in the tribal cave, everyone... They don't deserve it. <laughs> but they don't deserve it. But it would elevate her, like, it would elevate her self-worth or her worth in the tribe, not her self-worth. She she assesses right. that on her own. But my point is, is that there is never a... Like, Georgie in the first book becomes the... Not only does she become Ve- Vectal's um, maid, but mm-hmm. she also really takes on the role of being the chief's maid. Like, she she takes mm-hmm. on the emotional care of the tribe, and it it... it levels out some of the like well we were forced into the situation i don't feel like that has been made clear yet for liz and yes she's a provider now because they're bringing all of their hunts in but i like i just needed more i'm not saying that it isn't there i'm just saying that it wasn't enough for me i i i understand i would counter with why does her status in the tribe matter when they made it clear that they don't care about her freedom because, like, to her, the way the tribe treated her means that she's just another human woman bearing a child to them. And so, like, her, but that, she that's doesn't what care I'm saying. about what they, they think of her. But that's what I'm saying. I wish that that attitude would change somewhere in the storyline about her so mm-hmm. that it isn't that the tribe still thinks of her as a womb only because in that is like her power Mm -hmm. lies not only in being childbearing but also in all these other things and she knows that but i needed other people to also acknowledge that so that it it felt like her existence wasn't just lemonade wasn't just her making the best of a bad situation but for the situation to improve and the situation didn't Uh, improve uh, like she was now she was in exile and Pregnant and with morning sickness for possibly but three she years. She wanted that. No, she, she wanted that. She talks about not wanting to be a mother more than once, and it's never really addressed because at some point she's sure. just like, mm, "I'm no, baby." No, I'm not talking. I'm not talking <laughs> about the motherhood. She didn't want to be in the tribe. She didn't want to be around all that bullshit. She wanted to be out there hunting, and I. Like, right. this situation is the best. But don't like, you being think... being exiled was the best thing she wanted. Being exiled is the solution to the tribe hating her and her not wanting to stay with the tribe. What I'm saying is, wouldn't it be great if she got to go hunting, but not as a counterpoint to a shitty tribe? Wouldn't it be great if they were like, you know what? You are excellent at hunting. You should go out and hunt. And this actually is the point of contention for this book and for readers of this book. People are very Mm. mad about the fact that their exile isn't resolved into something happier and that we Mm. remain with the exile. And that for me, and like, I agree with that in that emotionally, it's not like they were like, goodbye, bitches, as opposed to like, oh, you're so great at hunting. Why don't you do the job you're really great at? Because in every tribe acknowledge, well, I don't know. I'm not an anthropologist, but my assumption is, is that like (laughs) revering the things that people are good at and elevating them for the in status for the things that they're good at is how a tribe thrives. So wouldn't it be an amazing experience if they were like, Rahash is still on the shit list, but you, you are a valuable member of our tribe. So we are going to like elevate you into a status symbol. Sure. I I guess I push against the need, like the need and requirements of a society because that's who I am. And that's what I'm pushing against currently as a human being and uh, society fucking sucks. And so I, I get it. Like you want to go off and be alone and be with the one person you like. I get that. I am a huge introvert and there are only a few people that I really and truly like and would want to spend time with and uh, fuck the rest of people who tell you how to be and how to live. I don't know. It wor- it works for me and I don't need... I-, I never felt like they needed validation. Okay, my question. Yeah, no, please. <laughs> so Liz was a hunter back in Oklahoma where she hunted with her father and and it's, I think, the one thing that bonded them it's a shared experience they're both excellent hunters do you think liz and rahash would have worked out together if 
they didn't have that shared experience. No, I mean, to quote Liz, the cootie chose right, right? Like the whole point is that they wouldn't resonate for each other or they wouldn't be fated to be mates if they weren't compatible. So if she was not a fierce huntress, then no, they would not have worked out. Interesting, because I feel like by that argument, it if the cootie chooses then it doesn't matter who these people are. And that's what she kind of pushes against as well Is like this thing chose for me. I didn't choose at all, but it, in the end they had, uh, they got along well enough and they had these shared experiences that bonded them. So they, I think they bonded beyond the cootie, which is what also happens in book one. So, uh, so it doesn't end up mattering. Right. but So I don't think that they would have worked out had they not had the shared experience because, right. And it's even in this book that his parents didn't like each other. Mm-hmm. They just made a baby together yeah. because the thing chose, but they didn't. So if Liz was yeah. not a hunter, no, they would not have worked out. They would have still had to like fuck on her at least once, apparently. Um, and this is something <laughs> that comes up in this book that did not come up in the last book. In the last book, it was sort of my understanding that the resonance was a, a faded mate, like lifetime experience. But this book ah. makes it sound like mm-hmm. the resonance is a need to make a baby singularly. And that every time you need uh, a baby, no. it happens. <laughs> the side eye to the gardener excellent excellent yes just getting closer great uh i know i think the book the first book talked about how it's it's a dry it's a it's a pull between two people who can procreate it's how they know that procreation is possible is because of the resonance see to me, it wasn't clear. In the, like in the first book, it was like, we're going to be together forever. Like, this is a forever decision. In this book, it was made really clear that it's just a temporary condition that can reoccur. Interesting. I, I The first book made made it seem like both. But yes, this book did elaborate into that it, it could just be a procreation thing and then goodbye. I found that really interesting um, in the best way. Okay, so huh. Ruby Dixon in the afterword of this book refers to Rahash as a cinnamon roll. Thoughts? Agree. Disagree. Oh, you want an elaboration? Okay. Explain. I I disagree because, so, and again, the the refer to our Minnesota and cinnamon roll and how angry I got. Uh, uh, To me, a cinnamon roll is someone who is emotionally mature and available, and he isn't. Um, he's still exploring, understanding his emotional maturity, but mostly he's an angry cat. <laughs> I mean, yes, she does describe him thusly. However, uh, I disagree because my definition of a cinnamon roll is like tough on the outside, soft and gooey on the inside. And that is what he is, definitely. But he's not soft and gooey on the inside. Yes, he is. No, he's Show a- me proof. Proof. He's not soft and gooey in that he understands, like, he keeps misstepping in terms of what he thinks she needs. And it's not. Right, that's just cultural. It, everything in his experience comes from instead of talking to her, there are so many instances that instead of talking to her or asking her for her needs, he just takes what he thinks is appropriate until she explains to him that that is not the case this to me read a lot more like an alpha male being um changed by his woman type of story and a lot less like the cinnamon Mm. roll the first book and vectal i absolutely agree that vectal is a cinnamon roll because there is a gentleness and a care and an emotional progression to him where he really thinks about georgie's needs and anticipate some of her emotional needs before she does. Rahash does not do that at all. He's just like, let's just shove things at her and it's going to work out. And then every time she's like, it doesn't work out. Let's do it a different way. And she changes his ways, which to me doesn't sound like a fully developed human or or I guess in this case, alien. Um, But it sounds like an alpha male being changed by his woman, which is... uh, 
a trope of its own and also works. How many bushes are out there? I swear to God. Is it like 8,000 bushes? It's like 8,000 bushes. And I've never even opened this window. This is really frustrating. Uh, Like, I... I guess I I just disagree in that he was always putting her needs first. He got them wrong because developmentally he just was stunted emotionally because of his past. And that does, I don't think that detracts from his cinnamon rollness. He was always trying to take care of her. He was just doing it wrong. And that doesn't, that doesn't affect the cinnamon rollness for me. Oh, but it I definitely does for me. This is going to be a common argument because the faded mate thing is, I think it's just going to happen in every book. I think this is going to be the thing of every book is that the males are going to put their females first and, you know, try to take care of them in all those ways. And so this is just going to be the constant conversation. Possibly. All right. So you talked about how he never like talked to her. He just did things. He could understand her the whole time because he got the thing that made him understand English. Did you miss the language gap that happened in Ice Planet Barbarians? And did you find it manipulative that Rahash didn't let on that he could understand her for like half the book? I mean, hence the like, it's just an alpha male thing. It's just a control thing. I don't know that it gained us anything. I mean, I think it was meant to be funny that, like, she she says all of these things about him, and then we know that he knows what she's saying, and then it is it was also meant to be the um, the internal conflict because she says mean things and he takes them literally because sarcasm is not an innately translatable thing. I missed a conversation validating both of their feelings about the things that were said when they thought the other one wasn't listening. But I don't know that I necessarily needed like an actual language barrier. I do think it's weird that Liz, well, it's not weird. She was kidnapped and traumatized, but she never tried to actually communicate with him. She was talking at him, but there was never the the same level of trying to explain to him what's happening that like the care that Georgie took with Vectal to try to communicate with him. It didn't exist. Liz was just like, we're just in the cave together and I'm just going to talk about Star Wars. Yeah, her first her first instinct was no rather than yes. Uh, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a little weird too that he just like sat there and listened and didn't let on that he could understand her. Um and he did a lot of kind of manipulative things. So yeah, it's it it's a weird deal. I guess if if you were talking to somebody in another language, like would you like to know if someone could understand you? Like if you were being overheard or you know, having you, since you speak two languages, having like, lived this when experience, when you speak your other one to someone else, do you wonder if the people in the grocery store can understand you when you're speaking your other language? And would you change your actions if you knew? Firstly, uh, so in the grocery store, probably not because it's really out of context for the people around you. But um, so my family all speaks one language and my spouse doesn't speak that language, but has been to now 20 years worth of gatherings. No, not 20 years yet. We're, that has not been, it's not been that long, <laughs> but still 10 years worth of gatherings for sure. And there, there's absolutely no confusion about what we're saying even though we're speaking, like, it is really self-evident, right? Contextual clues and visual clues really give mm-hmm. away what's happening, even if the, yeah. like, the the extreme specifics need to be translated. So there's a difference between speaking two different languages and trying to communicate and chatting to yourself, because you might as well be speaking Klingon, and because... The point Mm. isn't for the other person to hear you, right? So it's not really the language barrier that's the barrier. It's the intent to communicate. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so I was going to tell you about this new term I learned. Uh, This is is in the um, subgenre titles, like... uh, 
I can't think of any of the other, like historical romance or contemporary romance uh, or so apparently this this is a very specific subgenre that this book fits into and it is alien smut ass bitch <laughs> which is a lot or just alien skank okay. and uh, and okay <laughs> and I, I did not know that beyond this book, there is a, say, a stack of books that is all alien smut. I mean, I can think of at least one more series that we've read that is alien smut, but that's a thing that has a name, and I am fascinated. Did you click and look at the rest of the titles on that list? No. No, I did not. Mm, uh, opportunities <laughs> were missed. Uh, I mean, I have I take a lot of offense to Alien Skink, especially as it pertains in this book, because she like she didn't want it. She didn't want any of this. And then she, you know, tripped into feelings. So like <laughs> oh. I also find skank to be an extremely derogatory term still. And it um fills me with rage because it's just a way to uh like belittle women who are sexually positive and sexually active. Is it yeah. not ungendered for you? Like, can he it is not, not be ungendered? I see. Can no. he not be a skank? It's not un- no. Okay. Be- because of weird societal bullshit. I see. Where men, men, women have to be pure, pure and virginal, and men can do whatever the fuck they want. And it's Only bullshit. in this society, in this book, our our male lead is is virginal. And uh, that's true. And and she Absolutely. is not. Um, I did Absolutely. not. I guess I, I have only heard skank in a derogatory one way fashion. Understood. And when it's put the other way, it's not derogatory. Mm-hmm. When it's defining men, it's like a bro thing. Well, I definitely took it as a as like a a happy, a delightful smut thing, not as a uh, negative thing. Like this guarantees hot level scenes that will go like all the way to the really huh. like five flame meter. Yep, it doesn't that that title does not deliver that for me. Okay. That categorization. I mean alien smut ass bitch is closer (laughs) that's very very specific (laughs) yeah i mean there was some anal play yes in this one like some light anal play uh the bitch part really trips me up again for the same reasons but like it that word is being desensitized a little bit for me as well uh so i'm more open to that okay but this just feels like a bunch of trolls trolling people and being <laughs> stupid assholes about stuff, but they have to know what the book's about. So I guess fine. Trolls going to troll, but they're also going to read blue alien smut. But so it sounds like you agree with alien smut and end of sentence. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Let's stop at alien smut. I'm here for that. You can also clarify with ass or whatever. It's it's the third nipple the labeling terms. Yes, absolutely. That, that is very clear and does not include any words that have once been used to belittle people. So uh, I'm into that. Uh, you could also do uh, where's my tail play animal slut. Uh, no, not animal slut, animal smut. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, tail play. Even though, I, so I, that's worst segue ever into my question. <laughs> Not a lot, a little bit of tail play. Did you want more? Yes, it's actually later in the episode. Uh, that uh-huh. is actually a note that I wrote. Uh, and so I wrote this note before I read the epilogue, and then I read the epilogue, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, better, but not best. Still, yeah. I still yeah. need more. Um, and then she holds onto his tail while she sleeps, and I was like, wait, I thought this. Like, I need to know the sensitivity. Under, like I need to understand the sensitivity of tails, and then I was also not cl- like there are a couple of places where I'm like the anatomy of these blue aliens is unclear to me, and now I'm getting really scientific into mm. it. Interesting. So uh, I guess you're not the type of person to like fall asleep holding 
your partner's penis? That is not the part of my partner that I would hold on to in sleep. (laughs) Uh, Also not one that I do, but I guess if the tails are sensitive, that's kind of what she's doing, right? Which is weird, right? Like that is <laughs> like I feel like that is not a part they would want to held onto overnight. But it just I don't know. They might. Uh, I imagine perhaps maybe the sensitivity decreases along the length of the tail because, like, she does a lot of uh, sort of masturbating, so maybe the stump is more sensitive. But they they've also used their tail to like hide their tracks. And like that part touches the ground. So is that part more desensitized because it has more contact with more things? Uh, I mean, yeah. So, and then at one point, the, the, like, the tail point seems really articulated and controllable. Mm-hmm. And at other times, the tail is more of a reflection of their emotional state. So, yeah, I like mm-hmm. I need more, more. I need more tail. <laughs> is it? So she describes him a lot as a cat and cats tails aren't articulate, but they are expressive. Yes. But what about something more like a monkey tail where it is both? True. It is both. So yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Some, something that round, even though the picture makes it look like a lion's tail. Yes. Well, and he mentions the tuft at the very end of the tail. Yeah. Yeah. I have a secondary question. We don't really show the time, but I'm going to ask it anyway. This book outlined all the other fated mates between the aliens and the humans. Did that ruin future books for you to know that everybody else had happy endings and looked all cuddly and shit? No, no, this is this is so extremely escapist that, in fact, I needed a catalog of all the other cave dwellings I'm going to get to see boned at. Hmm. I thought this book gave that for sure. It was like this and this person and this and that person. And she was sitting in his lap and like, you could hear those people moaning at night. So like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited yeah. to find out what happens with the dildo joke. Cause I feel like that's, Great. that's a joke Excellent. headed yes. somewhere. Yes. So she gives advice to another alien that he should carve a dildo out of the human woman. He's trying to woo. He should carve a dildo <laughs> for, not out of. <laughs> I got dark. I got dark and weird. Yes. Uh, for the human woman he's trying to woo, that is anatomically correct to himself. So yes, I'm. I'm excited about that payoff. There is one where there, there's like she comes into the caves and she sees a human sitting on an alien's lap and they look cuddly and whatever. And I'm like, well, that just ruined that book. They're happy ever after. There's no conflict. Well, there is conflict because there is a mention that they are not resonating for each other, that they're just fucking for fucking sake. Um, So it's not like I'm interested in reading those scenarios, Mm -hmm. the scenarios that are not um, self-evidently that like Mm -hmm. let's be happy and bone. Right. Like these are right. Let's bone. But maybe we're not happy. Mm, Okay. Okay. All right. Maybe that's one of the characters who has the uh, implant. Like or an IUD or something. Maybe. Yeah. Let's do a break for the people. We're going to take an intermission. When we come back, we will discuss our favorite moments from the book and if this book made us want to get naked. What is the RPG Concierge? It's an interview show that discusses tabletop role-playing games. This hobby has had a renaissance over the past several years, and odds are you've heard of Dungeons & Dragons, hands down the most iconic of RPGs. If you're curious about what D&D is or other RPGs you've heard of, then check out the RPG Concierge. Are you curious about dipping your toe into this mysterious hobby? Are your friends talking about it, but you feel nervous about joining? Are you afraid of ruining it for everyone else? Well, you're not alone, and as your RPG Concierge, it's my duty to make sure that you feel comfortable. Check out our first season, which is entirely dedicated to getting started with role-playing games. Each episode will discuss a different topic with a new guest, be they brand new players discussing their experiences, or veterans doling out advice for all the rookies out there. We'll remove some of the mystery that surrounds this vast and exciting hobby and have fun doing it. So come check us out. I was going to wait until you're done chewing, and then I didn't. No. And we're back. Um, well, we're back. We're back. We're, we're back. And we're, we're talking back. <laughs> about <laughs> Ruby Dixon's uh, Barbarian Alien. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry, folks, barbarians. Dose. Our transitions in and out are still the worst. We're still working on it. One day we'll become a professional podcaster. Just the two of us will become one professional podcaster. <laughs> we'll just meld into it. Um, so uh, we're yeah. going to talk about the most compelling moments in the book and whether or not this mm-hmm. book made us want to get naked. So for me, the most it was actually really hard to find the most compelling moment of the book because mm-hmm. all of it was fine, but none of it was like so wonderful that I mm-hmm. needed to bring attention to it. I did think that the scene with the face eater, which is the name of the fish that has a bamboo like mm-hmm. uh, lure on it, was really fun. So her going to try and get the bamboo pole and then the f- the fish jumping out to try to eat her face and then them ending mm-hmm. up in the snow eating each other's faces eating each other's faces i thought that was fun and that's mm-hmm. also when she finds out that he can speak english yeah uh i kind of disliked that section the most because the entire time her it's from her point of view she's thinking i don't want this and yet pulling him in and kissing him and that had a lot of problematic consent for me in that your her brain said no but her body said yes and that is not cool that's not cool i wasn't into it that was maybe my least favorite part of the book i liked okay. the action part of it and i liked that finally they were kissing but i did not like that she didn't want it in her head that felt assaulty to me i mean this this book is dubious consent beginning to end like all the bits are yeah. dubious at yeah. best. So agree. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that even though Rahash could understand her, he still got everything wrong. Like all of her cues were wrong. And that was not his fault. She was giving him cues and then contradicting her cues immediately. And so like he thought when she says nope, that is actually a yes. That's a no means yes. And no means yes are horrible and never do them. Just say no and mean it or say yes and mean it so like like she just toyed with his him mentally a lot and it was how is this my favorite part i'm so sorry i've just talked myself <laughs> out of this being my favorite part yeah um, yeah yeah i think i liked how he kept trying to understand her even though he could understand her like literally understand her he didn't understand what she meant i don't know it, uh, I liked Rahash a lot. I think that's it. Let's let's say that's it. How is it that we can dislike a book so much and still like a book so much? Because I get the feeling, my hot take is that I really liked this book, but that sleeping on furs every night and having sex on furs is not as comfortable as it sounds. No, or as, as comfortable as she's trying to make it sound. It's definitely blue lemonade. Like it's the best you could do right. under the circumstances. Right. Yeah. So uh, I also like this book. I think Rahash is a, a fun character to read. Again, these books are like pulpy, smutty escapist land. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this one was way more filled with macho alpha shit than the last book was. Mm-hmm. And it endeared mm-hmm. me less to the alien in question because in the first book you're like oh wow like he's this giant alien who is big and brooding and the chief of his people but is actually uh, a sweetheart and and no one gave him the rule book on being a sweetheart but he's doing it um rahash wasn't that and he kept asking all these other asshole aliens on how to behave with his mate and they did not have great advice um (laughs) so yes ish yes i like this book i gave it three stars which is my like midline for for books Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um it, you know, if you're a completionist like us and you read everything in the series, um, get at it. Otherwise, think about it. Yeah, it's really... So I think I described this on our um, on our book club channel as a potato chip book because they're only like three, three and a half hours long to read. They go really fast. They're very hot and steamy. But there's also a lot of problematic stuff for us to get, fight with each other about. <laughs> and... Yet we're still going to read the next one. So there's like, there's some sort of like interwoven fucking magic that Ruby Dixon does to keep us coming back to these books with questionable consent and like 
not enough tail play. Not enough tail play, which leads me directly (laughs) to did this uh, make me want to get naked? And the answer is still yes. Um, I guess book dubious consent is okay by me as long as I know that ultimately it like they're going to say, yes, it's okay. I guess. Cause I was like, yeah, sure. This is hot enough. I do wish Mm -hmm. there was more tail play. I do. I like, if we're going to get weird, let's get weird. And we didn't get weird enough is what I have to say. (laughs) I guess my question for you is what are you expecting out of your tail play? And you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I'm just wondering I if you really have an expectation. I really don't know, but I need more clarity. Uh, like, there's, it's still very exploratory, right? Like, we did not know in the previous mm-hmm. book that they're the the nubbin that is uh, directly mm-hmm. in front of their penis is sensitive, and now we do. So I, I mm-hmm. like, I want to know everything about their anatomy, I guess. And like, are their horns sensitive? Because <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh yeah, or like we've read we other know, things where horns are sensitive. Right, like, sure. We know that their horns can change colors based on whether or not they're embarrassed Mm -hmm. but like so i just want like i am so fascinated what with these creatures that i want to know more about them and because the books are about sensual pleasure i want to know what makes them aroused Mm -hmm. or or what makes them Mm -hmm. tick in that way if you will interesting interesting all right okay cool this uh, this book absolutely made me get naked it also helped It helped me realize that my two favorite sex toys are blue, coincidentally. Not because of these books, but coincidentally. And so now every time I see them, I'm like, well, blue alien dick. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Bring it on. Exactly. (laughs) Why not? Yeah. So, like, we're running headlong for the third book. How many of these books do you think we're going to read this year? Um... Well, it depends. It genuinely depends on how much potato chip escapism we need. So far, mm-hmm. twenty-two has really, yeah, has brought on a <laughs> lot of. Uh, please take an escape trip to not Hoth. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, if twenty-two feels town. like turning itself right round and being just a ball of joy, then maybe I'll put them down for a bit. But uh, since this mm-hmm. isn't, that isn't yet the case. I say more blue alien tail for me. Get you some blue alien tail, girl. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to agree. I also wonder if I'm starting to enter the period where I want to make them last. And so read them slowly, parse them out, not immediately go for the third one. All right. Well, let's let's put it down for a bit or at least for a few days, because uh, mine is from the library, so <laughs> so if I put it down for too long, I have to return it. Yeah, I'm so jealous that there our library for some reason only has the audiobooks and not the di- like the reading oh, format. Yeah, so and I, I just I can't I can't audiobook very much. I'm right, very and mad at you for that. Well, you're about to do some drive-in. Drive-in is audiobook land. Excellent point. Excellent point. <laughs> All right, on that note, (laughs) Blue Aliens. Thank you for joining us for an episode of Booklandia. For more Booklandia, follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at L.Skyford, Twitter at SkyfordL, and hit up our blog, lskyford.com. We love you to the moon and back, so don't forget to rate and subscribe. Our eternal thanks for the audio editing and support provided by Finnegan Murphy, who you can find on Twitter at Finnegan1, that's F-I-O-N-N-E-G-A-N, numeral one, and sometimes Sky herself.